Born in 1592 in the Highlands of Scotland, and he is still alive. He is immortal. Constantly facing other immortals in combat to the death, the winner takes his enemy's head. And with it, his power. We know the truth about immortals. In the end, there can be only one. May it be Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. And welcome into Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander, Season 5, Episode 9, The Messenger. And here to talk with you about it, as we are every week, I am TV's Travis, and that is the Audie Norman. Audie, how are you? Doing all right, man. Uh, Had a little surgery to cut a little cancer off my cheek, but doing all good today. Well, now you've got a battle scar, so. Right. We used to play Ultimate Frisbee in college, and our... We played wildly. We didn't care about rules so much. So, like, if you went out of bounds, if you could catch it, catch it. Sure. Have fun. And our motto all the time was battle scars build character. Exactly. Exactly. Scars. Good scars have good stories, and they make for great conversation starters. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Uh, so, we had a heck of an episode uh, this week. Yeah, the we Messenger. Num- uh, episode 9, which it, we're now halfway through season 5. That come Really? It's an 18 episode season. I, I noticed that How about when I was looking that? earlier. So, wow! Look at that. We are we are at the turn of season five, um, and uh, and this episode was one that I did definitely remember. Um, and there was a couple of things about it that were different than I remembered. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, it was it was the episode that I remembered it being, and um, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. I did not remember this one at all, especially one of the special guests. Good Lord, that hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. Um, but before we do, I actually have a, uh, a Watcher Chronicle from uh, Adam Pearson himself. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to listen to that, and then uh, we'll talk about this episode. So here is that. Sweet. At the tribunal's request. I have investigated the recent appearances of an immortal claiming to be Nethos. After analyzing the eyewitness accounts and cross-referencing them with the primary and secondary source material on the historical Nethos, I am willing to confirm that this man preaching the unlikely message of peace among immortals is indeed the elusive oldest immortal. By all accounts, he fits the profile. Nethos has been described as a huge, bear-like man with a deep, booming voice a fearsome warrior noted for his wisdom and cunning, a natural leader of men who would eagerly lay down their lives for him. Still, I know there are those in the Watcher community who remain unconvinced that this man can be who he says he is. But I ask, why would anyone claim so openly to be Mythos if one was not actually Mythos? What has a man to gain by such a lie beyond a bright red target on his back? So we open up, Richie's out on his bike, it's at night. Uh, well, what we get is a motorcycle pulling up at night, and then uh, mm-hmm. guy gets off of it, it's Richie. He walks up to like a gate of some kind that is closed, he can't get in. I, we don't really know what it is, but... Yeah, it kind of looked like a storage facility, but... Yeah, it's hard to say, but he, he feels an immortal, turns around, this guy steps out in a long coat, um, so Richie grabs his sword, but this immortal is telling him he doesn't need his sword, don't be afraid. He's calm. He claims he only wants to talk to him. 
tells Richie he's not armed, um, mm-hmm. that he stopped taking heads a long time ago, and he wants peace, and he wants to talk to Richie. Um, and uh, then he says that his name is Mythos, and mm-hmm. he actually offers his head up to Richie. He says, look, if you want to, go ahead, take my head, uh, or we can talk. Go to, we go to credits, we come back from the credits, and Duncan's at the marina. He's looking over a boat, he's waiting on Richie. And I love this because this is, you know, this is Duncan doing a little horse trading, right? He's, got, he's looking at this sailboat. Uh, and the guy that he's My, talking to, Harry, is one of those character actors that's always playing like, he just had this career of playing old men, homeless men. Um, <laughs> he was in uh, an earlier episode of uh, Highlander um, as of like a homeless guy, I think, or something. But um, yeah, so <sighs> it's such a good. This boat isn't worth fifty thousand. It's not even worth forty thousand. The guy's like, I know, but it is worth twenty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> My note here was just how many freaking boats does Duncan have at this point? Well, we don't. I mean, he didn't buy the last one that we know of. We never see him with a boat. We just True. see him looking at boats. Yeah. So I think he's one of those guys, right? He's like, like he goes to a lot of car dealerships and just looks at cars and test drives them. Mm-hmm. But he never actually buys, replaces the T-Bird. Um, so while this is all going on, suddenly he feels, Duncan feels an immortal. He's looking around. He's waiting on Richie. But he looks up and he sees uh, this other immortal and immediately gets angry Duncan face and looks at yeah, Harry's. Uh, the guy that he's buying the boat from is like, I'll be right back. And <laughs> flashback. Boom. So we come out of the flashback, and Duncan and this other immortal, William Colbraith, are fighting. They're just going at it right there at the marina. Broad daylight. They don't care. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I loved is as the series went on, the whole conceit of like them sword fighting just sort of was they could go around a corner and no one would notice. <laughs> right. Because they're just at a marina in broad daylight sword fighting. And mm-hmm. no one sees it, but whatever. That's fine. Um, Duncan's just about to take the guy's head when Richie shows up. Um, and Richie stops him. Uh, the guy, Colbraith, gets away. And Richie, Richie starts talking to him about what this guy was telling him. Look, we don't need to fight. I'm talking about peace. Duncan's like, you let him get away. You know, Duncan's rightfully miffed. That mm-hmm. the guy got away, and Richie's upset, and then Richie's like, "Well, who was this guy anyway?" And um, and Duncan basically Duncan's like, "I don't believe uh, in the peace thing because there's some people you just can't you can't have that with, including that guy." And then we get a second flashback to right. some more backstory with this Culbraith character. Richie and Duncan get back to the dojo. Richie still hammering on about all of this stuff. He's listened to the flashback. He's like, well, maybe Colbraith, you know, you don't know. If you got mm-hmm. to know him, maybe it'd be fine. And Duncan's just like having none of it. Right. Then Richie lets drop that it was Mythos that told him about, uh, you know, being uh, the, the peace angle and all of this. And Duncan's like, eh, what? Mythos says <laughs> what? Uh, it was a uh, Mythos says what? Um, and right. <laughs> And Duncan's like, well, you know what? Uh, I, I don't. Ba- basically, he and Richie kind of butt heads, and Richie's like, I don't get you. And he just leaves. Mm-hmm. So Duncan heads up to the loft, and on his way up there, he feels a different immortal. Because it's, it's real mythos, just sitting yeah. on his bed listening to music. <laughs> and I love that because he's just so comfortable being there. He's like, yeah, there's a beer in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Duncan's like, I know, it's my fridge. <laughs> so um, 
Duncan starts talking to him about like, what are you filling Richie's head with all this crap for? And I love Mythos's reaction. Did I, did I fall asleep? What are you talking about? Right. Um, and Duncan starts telling me, he's like, ah, so he's made it here. And Mythos knows about other Mythos. Yeah. And he's honestly happy to let the guy call himself Mythos and just do his <laughs> yeah. thing. He's like, hey, everybody's looking for me. So if he wants to play as Mythos, let him. And Duncan's like, yeah. even, even if it gets him killed, sure. <laughs> Mythos is like, he wants my name. He gets everything that comes with it. And quite honestly, very, uh, very in character for him. Like that is oh, something yeah. Mythos would do. For sure. And he and Duncan banter a little bit before Duncan's like, you're going to set Richie straight. You're going to tell him who you are. Uh, you're going to tell him this other guy's a fake and that what he's, what he's preaching isn't going to work. So we cut to the bar, and Richie gets to meet the real Mythos, and he's just not impressed at all. Mm-hmm. Which is another great exchange. 5,000 years old, and it's this guy? <laughs> uh, Joe's there. Joe's like, yeah, no, it's it's him. Yeah, he's 5,000 years old. And, and Richie, Richie doesn't really care about the name. Like, that that part of it, he's sort of like, well, whatever. So he's not the real Mythos. This is. The name doesn't mean anything. It's the message that he's giving that interests mm-hmm. Richie. Richie really wants this this whole idea of peace, of not killing each other. Um, and Duncan is Duncan and Joe and Mythos to an extent are all kind of telling him like, look, it's not going to work. It just, it just yeah. doesn't work for who we are. But Richie's like, whatever guys. And he just leaves. And then there's a great moment where Richie leaves. Duncan's like, all right, I got to go find somebody. And he's heading out to go find Culbraith. And Joe's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go do a little searching on this other Mythos guy in the archives. And he takes off, and Mythos is just sitting there in the bar. No one else is there. And he's like, guess I'll go buy some socks. <laughs> yeah. He's just sort of just sort of left there with his beer like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, what am I going to do? Something yeah. mundane. <laughs> it's it's uh, so great. Um, we cut to the marina. Colbraith is there, and he meets other Mythos. Other Mythos just shows up. And uh, doing the same spiel. Mm-hmm. I'm not armed. Calm as a Hindu cow, right? Just, I'm not armed. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to talk peace. All this kind of stuff. Colbraith is listening to him. Um, and what, what happens is this mythos starts, like, playing some mind games with him. Starts talking about he lost <laughs> loved ones. Starts talking about his past. He has information. Then Duncan shows up. Sword out, ready to fight. So mm-hmm. now he, um, fake Mythos turns his gaze onto Duncan and starts doing the same thing. Starts bringing up Darius. Whoa. Like he knows about Darius. He knows about Duncan mm-hmm. being friends with Darius. All of this stuff. Enough that it makes Duncan question things and leave without fighting Colbraith. Right. And so now you've got Duncan a little... not. Not nearly as convinced or confused as Richie, but questioning it. So right. now, Mythos, real Mythos, wants to go find out about this guy. Mm-hmm. So he goes and, and meets with him. And uh, fake Mythos is doing some gardening. And that's a, this is a great scene between yes. these two. Um, because you've got the real Mythos is you know giving him all these questions. The guy's giving him the, the real, like almost like a cold reader, like the just the most broad answers he possibly can. Mm-hmm. So he can't really give himself away, but he's staying with his character. Once again, somebody draws a sword on him and the guy's like, look, you can kill me if you want. That's fine. 
but I, you know, or we can talk. And he keeps calling everyone's bluff. Yep. And so Real Mythos uh, gets a little bit of information on, kind of chides with him a little bit. Is like, do you really think there's no such thing as evil? You know, what about like Genghis Khan and Hitler and all this stuff? Like, do you really think mm-hmm. we can get out of the game? And then he's finally like, all right, well, Mythos got the info that he wanted and he leaves. Right. So he goes back to the bar. Now he's like, this guy's just doing a little pomp and circumstance and he's giving out this pop side like <laughs> bull crap and he's either a delusional or a fraud um and he's getting on duncan's case because he's like you bought it richie's buying it um but then they drop the bomb because duncan's like well look richie's gonna make his own mistakes whatever he's got to do what he wants and i love mythos because mythos at this point is like well might as well just add richie to the list then which gets Duncan's attention. He's like, huh? What What list? Yeah. That's when we learn, Joe found out, this mythos, this fake mythos, doesn't take any heads, but he leaves a trail of dead immortals behind him because he convinces them to lay down their swords and then the next immortal comes along, takes their head. Yep. Uh, and he just he just moves on. So he's his message is one of peace, but... He doesn't stick around to follow it through. He just like right. convinces people to set their sword down and then leaves, um, which annoys Mythos uh, and kind of annoys Duncan, but he also knows that he can't really change Richie. Right. But he does agree to go have one more talk with him. So they chat a little bit. Richie is very, very much just, he doesn't want to kill anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and he wants to believe in this guy. And Duncan essentially tells him, look, it's not that simple. We do what we do because we have to. There's no way around it. But you right. got to make the decision you're going to make. Yeah. While this conversation is going on, Colbraith shows up at Fake Mythos's place. Yeah, he does. And it starts off like every other uh, meeting with Fake Mythos and anybody until Colbraith is like, eh, yeah, but that's not doing it for me and takes his head. Right. So he just takes his head right there, and then he's waiting for when Richie shows up uh, without his sword now because he's given it mm-hmm. back to Duncan and given up you know, the game, and he's going to go the way of peace. So when Richie shows up at Mythos's garden, there's Colbraith with his sword like, yeah, uh, old man there, I killed him, and now I'm going to kill you. And he just attacks yep. him. And so this is going on while Duncan and Mythos and Joe are back at the dojo, and Mythos does some nice calculating uh, chess moves to basically bait Duncan into like, all right, I'm going to go take care of things. Yeah. And and I love Joe's reaction to it, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a little bit. But he gets, convinces him. So Duncan leaves. He shows up as Culbraith is attacking uh, Richie. And Culbraith is like, you can't interfere. The, the challenge has already started. And Duncan, best, best uh, comeback for that ever. I'm not going to interfere. And he just throws Richie's sword out yep. there so Richie can grab it and take on Culbraith. And he takes his head and he takes his quickening. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a pretty simple plot, but boy, did it have some good special guest work. And we're going to yep. talk about that. Who are you? I am... The oldest of us living still. I am Mythos. Okay, so special guests this week. We got a couple. 
Yeah, we do. The Messenger slash Fake Mythos is played by Ron Perlman. Yeah. And now, cool bit of trivia. Ron Perlman actually auditioned to play Mythos in the series. He didn't get the role. He ends up coming on for this. I also read, and I can't back this up with anything substantial, um, but David Abramovitz, who's the creative consultant for the show, was super Mm -hmm. stoked to have Ron Perlman come on in this episode, but then apparently didn't like his performance. I can't, I couldn't find any interviews with him to like back that up. That was just a trivia piece I read on one of the, um, one of the pages, Hmm. but I liked Ron Perlman's performance in this. I was going to say he did really good for the kind of character he was playing. I was really impressed with how he handled it. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is the special guest that you weren't ready for. Yeah. I no idea. Saw him as like, Rob Perlman. And the thing with him is like, this was a, this was still not early, early in his career, but Ron Perlman wasn't the Ron Perlman that he became a couple of years later. Like he was well known. He had done beauty and the beast by this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but he wasn't, uh, wasn't quite yet to the level that he is now. And, but what I liked about it is he brings his gravitas. He played the character so well. He's calm, calculating. My memory of the episode was, um, that he flipped at the end. Mm. Um, uh, that's just the way that I remembered it. And as, as it got further and further along is when I realized, oh no, that's not what's actually going to happen. Right. Um, but he's so good at this character because you really, you, we know nothing about this guy at all. Mm-hmm. We never learn his real name. Richie yeah. even mentions that at the end of the episode. We don't know where he's from. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how, cause he's, he sticks in this character he's created of mythos. And the cool thing about it is throughout the episode, he stays with that and it's really who he is. He really actually wants peace. Yeah. He wants peace among immortals he's trying to do it one at a time. Now the downside of it, of course, is that he's just kind of doing that and then leaving and not really right. following through. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a fool's errand, but it's a really good performance by Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. And, and he brings this, this weight to the role that makes it work. Yeah, absolutely. I just, this is another case where we have a great actor playing a great character. And I just want to know more, like, I want to know where he comes from. How does he know all the crap he knows? Like, is right. he another mythos that uh, somehow incorporated into the Watchers and got all this information? Yeah. I mean, we and, don't know. And that's that's the, the amazing thing. There's so much mystery around this character. Mm-hmm. And no one knows. Right. Like, you would think the Watchers would know something about him. Joe would have found something. He can't find... He doesn't find anything. He doesn't tell us anything other than this guy's a fake mythos. Like... There's just nothing on this guy. It's really right. fascinating. Um, and it's perfectly done. I want to know more, but never never finding out, I won't be upset about that because it made for a great, like, it's a great mystery episode that you can kind of fill in yourself. Yeah, it's one of those interesting things where, like, we don't know anything, and it's fine because it works for this story. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you you figure out what the story is. You have fun with that in your own mind. It's not consequential to the overall arc of the Highlander yeah. of the series, but for this episode, have fun trying to think of something. Yeah, it's great. You can create your own headcanon of like where he's from, how long he's been around, what caused him to suddenly decide to take the path of peace. 
Mm-hmm. What was the inciting incident to that? Because he has that scene with Richie where he it's fair, he kind of makes it known like he's done the warrior thing probably mm-hmm. for a long time. Right. So, you know, he knows how to fight. He just doesn't want to. Or here's my thought. Okay. That whole trail of bodies thing is intentional. He's trying to weed the game out until he finally decides to be like, okay, now I'm ready to play and take out who's left. That's completely plausible too. Because again, mm-hmm. like I said, my memory was of him kind of making a turn at the end, which would have been the, right. the um, tropey way to go about it. But it very well could have been. I love the scene where Richie is at the place and there's a shot where the messenger is sitting in a chair and Richie's standing behind him and they're talking. Mm-hmm. And Richie says something about, you know, well, what do you mean? And he's like, you're pissed. And he walks around the chair and when he gets to the front of the chair and comes to sit down, the camera moves and it reveals that Richie's sword is there. Yeah. And then Richie sits down and you see the messenger looking over, looking at the sword and saying, I just don't like weapons around me. And like, that was such a beautifully staged shot. And yeah. I oh, really, yeah. really appreciated that. Um, cause it's a, it's just a small detail. You don't have to do it that way. There was a lot of moving camera in this episode. I noticed too. Yeah, there was um, like, was well cool done thing. moving camera. Yeah. A lot of, uh, kind of that Michael Bay style, 360 degree handheld stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but it fit what they were doing really well. So I, yeah. I appreciated that. But yeah, Ron Perlman just, it, it helps like, again, he's a, he's a recognizable face name. He's got a wonderful voice. Um, and he, when you see him, you, you can always kind of think of him as like, he can get very animated, very amped up, very loud. And so for him mm-hmm. to play this character who is just subdued and calm and never, he raises his voice like once the entire episode and it's barely. Yeah. And the rest of the time he's just calm. It's great. It was, it was really fun. And yeah. you're right. Like I want to know more about him, but it's and fun had, to, it's fun to fill in your own. He had that one sparring with Richie to, you know, kind of show him like, no, I can fight. I absolutely choose not to. And mm-hmm. it's it's that thing that he does in this episode that is so powerful to have an actor like Ron Perlman because he is subtly powerful in his performance and the way he handles his character. Yep, absolutely. And in that scene, you fully believe that this guy is capable of handling himself and fighting. Mm-hmm. And you buy it a hundred percent, and you need that in this character. You need to have yeah. that in that moment. You have to be able to believe him. Mm-hmm. And it's you're right. That's a perfect way to put it. It's that subtle power. It's that uh, that like kind of almost soft dominance. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had William Colbraith was played by Robert Wisden uh, or yeah. Wisden Wisden Wisden. I don't remember how it's pronounced. Um, not our first time seeing him in the series. He was in okay. He was in The Return of Amanda back in season two. Okay. In the flashbacks to World War II where Duncan has his friend that's trying to help him smuggle people and then he gets double-crossed. Mm-hmm. The friend Werner or Werner. Mm-hmm. That was Robert Wisden, Wisden that played uh, him in that. Okay. Now, I remember him most from The X-Files. Okay. Is the thing I always think of him from because he played a character that they called The Pusher. In two episodes. Okay. Remember that? He was yeah. in an early season episode. And yeah. And he came back later and he would he could force people to do things just by talking to them. He had like this mm-hmm. hypnosis to his voice. Yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah. So he and he's great in those. He's so good because he's so menacing in those episodes. And and then his other credit I saw that I was like, oh, he was would, in Watchmen. How is it? Oh, he was oh, yeah. in Watchmen. Yep. He was Nixon. Richard Nixon. <laughs> um, but I like him, and he was a good foil um, to have because he's got a look about him and his voice. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because of my my associating him with the X Files, but he's got a look that just is you just don't trust him. Yeah, and he did a really good job of also being subtle when he needed to, mm-hmm. and then turning on the evil when he needed to. And it was he did a great job of portraying this character that was almost somebody you felt sorry for because of his situation. But at the end you're like, yeah, not really. You're a bad guy. Yeah. I was actually just about to bring that up. That is perfect because in the flashbacks, he's played almost sympathetically Mm -hmm. and the flashbacks give us some backstory that makes him feel like he could be sympathetic, but then no, he's just a bad guy. Like he, he's gone, he's gone too far now and he just doesn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Or it's just who he is, and it, you know, he's yeah. he's a bad guy, but he's still a person who had a family that mm-hmm. mattered to him. But that didn't change the fact that he was a bad guy, being a total, you know, terrible person at this war camp. Yeah, and it's it's a really well done, subtle performance in those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he definitely chose sure. that line, so I liked him. And then I mentioned earlier, but Lloyd Berry uh, played Harry, who was selling the boat, mm-hmm. and we saw him yeah. in the Cross of Saint Antoine. Um, and he's just a fun character actor. He just always shows, yeah. like, I see him as Harry or Homeless Man or Homeless Harry or whatever, <laughs> or like half of his credits, and it's just great. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is some gr- really, really strong special guest star work from Ron Perlman and Robert Wyston to really carry these two characters who we don't know much about, and no. we never are going to find out any more about them. And yet they, like the character of the messenger has this depth to him with Mm -hmm. us not knowing Jack about him. Like, right. It's kind of, and I would say, I would say if Robert Wisden wasn't, wasn't as good as he was, this would have felt overloaded with the presence of Ron Perlman, but because they both tackle their characters and are so good Mm -hmm. at each side of it, it just makes it such a great episode for all of them. And look, it would have been very easy for Ron Perlman to get, uh, like overdo the role in some way, mm-hmm. and he does. Sure. He just plays it very down the middle, and that's what this role needed. And it's it's great. So I yeah. I'm guessing that you're an abolitionist, McLeod. It may surprise you to learn that I myself harbor ill feelings towards the institution of slavery. Matter of fact, on my farm just outside of Atlanta, my wife and I have no slaves of our own. Really, but you have Andersonville. Okay, so flashbacks take us to Georgia in 1864. Mm-hmm. And uh, Duncan is helping slaves get north via the Underground Railroad. And yeah. the man he's with, Jeffrey, they're running along. They get uh, confronted by some Confederate soldiers. Jeffrey's shot in the leg, and they're taking, they are taken to Andersonville Prison. Yeah. Which is run by William Culbraith. So, which, just before we get into it, uh-huh. whoever wrote this episode... Did the research. Like, Andersonville is an actual place down here. Had a prison that was known for being a terrible prison. Like, the actual guy in charge was tried for war crimes later on. Oh, wow. So, that 
for once, I'm impressed with how well they depicted history in this one. That's cool because I am, admittedly, I don't know. I know a very surface level of uh, Civil War era stuff. I know mm-hmm. enough, but I don't. I don't dive into it. So that's cool. And I was, I was curious um, how they did because it, seeing it's in Georgia. Um, yeah. So that's that's nice to know that there was like this is real stuff that they're incorporating in. So mm-hmm. yeah, Anderson's about Andersonville is about a hour south of me okay. where I'm at now. Like it's still an actual town and stuff, but. Yeah, it was interesting. And this is where we learn who William Colbraith is. Uh, we get his name. Mm-hmm. He's running the place. He's running it with an iron fist. Like the yep. first thing we do when we meet him is him saying, "You can't. Tr- you do not try to escape. And if one of you tries to escape, three of you will get uh, executed for it." And he picks three random people and has them hauled off. Um, which of course Duncan chafes at, and they feel each other's presence. So Colbraith is like, mm-hmm. "Him, send, bring him to my quarters," and they have their talk. And it kind of goes back and forth. Um, essentially, it's sort of a, you're not really here for me. Um, I don't really care about you. Duncan mm-hmm. is more concerned with Jeffrey than anything. Right. And, and at this uh, point, uh, Colbray's very, very like rough around the edges about this whole situation. He's just like, mm-hmm. whatever between us doesn't matter. Yep. I run this place. This is my place. So that's enough. But then the second flashback happens when Richie's like, well, who was this guy? And why, why is he so bad? And, and now we mm-hmm. learn why Duncan saw red the moment he saw Colbraith. Right. Because in that second flashback, Duncan's tending to Jeffrey and his leg is uh, gangrenous. Right. And Jeffrey's in a bunch of pain. He's got to get the mm-hmm. leg amputated or he's going to die. Duncan was trying to get him north to his fiance, who's waiting for him to get married. Right. So Duncan goes back to Culbraith and he's pleading with him to send a surgeon. He's like, just get anybody. I don't care who it is. And Culbraith is like, he becomes uh, sympathetic to the plight. Right. And he's like, all right, look, my people are busy right now. I'm dealing with my own stuff. I'll send, if they're available, I'll send somebody over in the morning, which mm-hmm. Duncan's like, great, cool. And he leaves and he goes and he spends some more time with uh, Jeffrey that night. Jeffrey's still hurting bad. Duncan's trying yeah. to console him. All of this. Well, the next morning rolls around. Colbraith gets a letter that morning from his brother-in-law saying that his wife and his kids were killed by Union soldiers. Yep. And so he goes from softening and somewhat sympathetic to just back to having the hard shell all around him. And mm-hmm. this is when Duncan comes in. He's like, where's the surgeon? And Colbraith just looks at him and is like, no. Not happening. Right. So, of course, there's a little dust up there. Um, but eventually, Duncan ends up back with Jeffrey. And this was a tough one, this scene. Yeah, it was. I did not... This I did not remember, and this I did not expect. Yeah. Which was, Duncan is with Jeffrey. Jeffrey is in incredible amounts of pain and asks Duncan to end the suffering. Duncan's like, yeah. I, can't, I can't do that. I can't. And and Jeffrey begs him, pleads with him to please do it. And reluctantly, Duncan does. He mm-hmm. he breaks his neck so that he doesn't suffer from gangrene anymore. And it's a yeah. like it's a there is so much emotion going on in Adrian Paul's face in that scene. Yep. And right after he does that, he looks up and there's Colbraith walking through and they they make they lock eyes with and there's no remorse, no emotion, nothing from Colbraith. Yep. 
and it's it's that moment you're like, all right, I get why Duncan hates this dude. Like, yeah, for I, sure. First of all, nobody holds a grudge like a Scotsman, and right. so he's going to, um, for for sure. But yeah, that was, whew, I was like, damn, they really they yeah. went there. Um, also, I just got to say it because we've made jokes about it in the past. This is a correct way to use the song "Amazing Grace." <laughs> in <laughs> yes. a terrible situation in Civil War South, mm-hmm. just playing it softly, you know, just the melody and for the yeah. situation that we're in. It's like, okay, this time you got it right. Yep. Uh, so that but yeah, that was that was insane. So that that ends our and then we have one little mini flashback, which was it wasn't necessary, but I understand why it's in there, and that is when other mythos mentions Darius. Mm-hmm. We get a we get a quick flash from Duncan remembering one of his meetings with Darius in the battlefield. Right. And while it's not needed because it's season five and we haven't seen Darius since season one, I can mm-hmm. understand it in a syndicated show. Again, these right. play when at whatever uh order. So it makes sense to throw that in there real quick. And they didn't overplay it. It it lasted the right. I was gonna of time. say it was super quick. I was fine with it. Like I was mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, interesting. Other little mini flashback, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Like I say, it, like we don't need it because we know Darius and we're watching right. the, the show straight through. But I can understand why it's in there. So it's like a super super nitpick for me to say anything negative about it. But it, what right. I liked was it was short. It was just mm-hmm. enough to to give us that. Um, exactly. Overall, like I really enjoyed. Well, okay. I appreciated the flashbacks. Enjoyed the flashbacks just, enjoyed just were the good word. for their job. Yes. They were effective. <laughs> they did what they needed mm-hmm. to do. They gave us perfect backstory of Culbraith and Duncan, mm-hmm. which is what we needed. Um, and they were uh, they, they, they affected me. Uh, let's put it yeah. that way. Uh, plus, they interesting, good. Yeah. And interesting the way they handled it. Like, flashback. Let's talk with Richie for a second. Flashback. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. This whole season, they've been playing with them a lot more, and it's just interesting to to see the way they do them. And this one was an interesting, like, kind of back-to-back flashback, and it works well. Back-to-back flashbacks, they're done. We get no more flashbacks for the second half of the episode. They're all done in the first half. Um, yeah. I, I, and, and again, they looked good. I think all the costumes mm-hmm. looked fine. Yeah. I thought the sets for Andersonville Prison, um, especially that kind yeah. of crane, crane shot they had uh, coming yeah. into it and all that. Looked good, so yeah, yeah, good, good flashbacks this week, for sure. Joe, help me out here. I mean, five thousand years of wisdom. Him? Well, I don't know about the wisdom, but uh, yeah, five thousand—that's about right. I know it's a little hard to believe, but what you see is what you get. All right, so <clears throat> we got everybody back this week. Everybody but Amanda. Yeah. Um. Let's start with Joe. Joe is in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the least, I would say, to do in the episode, but it's great to have him there because he's a good bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And he's able to, again, we've got a, a plot or a, a a written reason to get background information on people because Joe can be like, I'm going sure. to head off to the archives and find out. Mm-hmm. Plus, as always, Jim Burns just makes every episode better. Um, yep. he's got a couple of great, and because he and Mythos have such a good relationship and he and mm-hmm. Duncan do like the three of them are great to have around and you forget that Mitchie or Mitchie, Richie hasn't met Mythos. Yeah. I was sitting here like, wait, wait, Richie hasn't met, wait, what? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, like every time Mythos would be around, Richie would be gone. So yeah. they've never crossed paths. So it's great to have all four of them interact for a little bit. Um, and it's it's cool because you can have like Duncan and Richie, and then you can have Mythos and Duncan, and you can have Joe and Duncan and, and Richie, um, and all of these different combinations of them. And it was, it was pretty cool. But yeah, Joe's great. Um, mm-hmm. He's got that great... I- Great line after Mythos goads uh, Duncan into taking off to help Richie. Mm-hmm. You were one calculating son of a bitch. It was, oh, it was so good. <laughs> I just loved it. I also loved just when they're talking to Richie about this other Mythos to begin with. It's like, here's Mythos, real Mythos. Here's Duncan. Here's Joe. They're all the old guys in the room. Like, yep. even Joe being mortal, it's like, yeah, we're all the old men. <laughs> and see Richie as the, hey... You're the youngin. Yep. We all see this for what it is. Listen to us, please. And, you know, Richie, when he storms off from the bar and Joe's like, eh, he's young. I mean, kid, young people make mistakes. Like, mm-hmm. because he knows, like, he knows Richie and he likes him and he wants, right. he wants what's best for Richie. Uh, he gets on Duncan later on, like, oh, you're, so you're just going to let him kill himself, basically. And, you know, it, that coupled with Mythos is enough to get Duncan to go help. So, yeah, I liked that quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Richie, Richie gets a good arc in this episode. And yeah. what I liked was we didn't have him last week, but two episodes ago was Haunted. And that was a very Richie heavy uh, and very heavy source uh, material type episode because of yeah. what he went through in that. So the last time we saw him, he and Duncan patched things up at the end of the episode, but he was dealing with that and what's cool about it is we get one episode away from that and then we come back in and here's richie still dealing with the fallout of that emotionally yeah and he runs into this dude who's like hey we don't have to kill each other man we can all be all peace and love brother and richie's just like gloms onto it immediately which makes complete sense Mm -hmm. on top of which the sword he's carrying right now Mm -hmm. i was like that's not just any sword (laughs) right yeah, that's the sort of the dude you killed. All that you know, baggage from the last episode, and it's just like whoa. whoa. And the one thing I love about Stan Kirsch's performance through this is, yes, it comes across as the young person getting sucked into, you know, this um, very charismatic personality. But it's the most believable young mm-hmm. kind of person thing I think we've seen Richie do. That's not snot-nosed brat kind of thing it's like right. someone who does not have the um you know the he doesn't have the, experience. the lifetime yeah. experience that duncan has that mythos has that even dawson has mm-hmm. like even he's it's funny we we think about richie he's an immortal and all this like he's still only 20 something whatever he's supposed to be yep. like dawson's still been been in this world a lot more than he has oh yeah and you know still has that experience above him and it's really interesting to see the way they handled it this episode with all three of the older guys and richie making a young guy's decision but not an stupid young person's decision no not at all it's a it's a broken young person's decision is what it is he he is so still so like not not put back together from the whole alec uh hill deal and what happened Mm -hmm. with him and then alec's wife and taking that quickening and all of that stuff. And now he runs into this, as you put it, very charismatic person 
who, uh, like I mentioned earlier, is kind of like a cold reader and sees into people's hearts and all this and has information. Mm-hmm. And so he can he can manipulate people so well. And Richie is incredibly vulnerable at this period. So he is susceptible to that so much and he falls right into right. it. And he doesn't... Because the end of the, la- the, the end of the haunted episode, he was talking about how he doesn't like killing and he doesn't want to do it and all of this. And then we roll right into this where here's an out for him. And he just, he doesn't mm-hmm. want it anymore. But and that to, conversation he had with Duncan towards oh, the end mm-hmm. about, I, you know, I want him to be right. I don't like killing. Yep. And it's just like, oh, so understandable. Like, you know, it, this is where it felt like Richie was a young soldier with a yeah. bunch of people who have been at war oh, yeah. for a lot longer, you know? And it had that kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And and for him to then have all of that taken away from him where he couldn't stop it mm-hmm. and to have Duncan show up and bail him out, but also not... Duncan doesn't bail him out in that Duncan doesn't take care of the problem for him. Duncan right. gives Richie the opportunity to, t- to, to deal with it himself. Right. So it's a great older brother moment from Duncan mm-hmm. and you can see at the end of the episode that Richie understands that while he wants things to be the way that this other mythos was talking about, it's not really a viable path right now, but yeah. he can, he can try to start the change. Right. And so yeah, it's, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in this episode. A lot more so much subtext it's, than you really think. You really realize. And it's Richard. what makes it's what makes Highlander the series the best of the Highlander concept. When they really delve into these issues of hey, we are people who live long because we kill each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We survive by killing each other. And Duncan's trying to tell Richie that. And Richie's just like, I don't want to keep doing this. And Duncan's like, you don't have a choice. Yeah. And I think there could be a solution to that. They never get there. They're never going to get there. You know? Um, well, it's that... I, it's really interesting that they are playing with it, like having that conversation back and forth. Yeah, because it's that idea that, like, yes, it's it's potentially possible for that to get there, but everybody's got to buy in, and you're never going to get mm-hmm. that buy-in from everyone. Someone... Is going to yeah. come along and look at this as just a room full of easy targets, yeah, and try to take that power because if there is a if there you know power abhors a vacuum. If there is a lack yeah. of leadership or somebody taking control, somebody's mm-hmm. going to try and do that. And so it's like there's that ideology and there's that um, idealism from Richie, and yeah, and you see that in young people. Young people really have that idealism and they have that drive yes. to make the change, mm-hmm. and they don't have the experience to understand that you can't just make that change overnight. You can't go from A right. to Z. You've got to go through all the steps. Mm-hmm. And that's where Richie figures that out during this episode. Um, but he's still got more to figure out, which is why at the end of it, he tells Duncan, I'm going to take off for a little while. I'm going to go mm-hmm. just ride my bike and see what I can do. And again, Duncan, we've seen the the relationship evolve between these two. Yeah. To where Duncan at this point is like, I can't make you do anything. I can be here and be supportive for you, but you're going to figure this stuff out on your own. 
And it's essentially like a good luck. I'm always here when you need me. Yeah, that was the best thing too. It was like the conversations they were having, like Richie's saying, I don't, I want him to be right. I don't like killing. And Duncan's like, I understand that dude. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we all feel that way, but that's not the world we live in. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, and it's the, throughout the whole episode, like you said, we've, we've gone through the evolution of Duncan and Richie's relationship to where at this point, Duncan sees Richie not necessarily as a little brother, but just a younger brother who has now grown up. Yeah. And it's like, I can't teach you anymore. All I can do is give you my advice from where I've come from. Yep. And it's really, it's really good to see that relationship where even when Joe's like, you're just going to let Richie go. And Duncan's like, Richie's his own person, dude. I mm. cannot control him. You cannot control him. He has to make his own decisions, whatever happens. Yeah. And it was interesting to hear Duncan be the one to say that to Joe. Yeah. Yeah. And when Richie brings the sword to him and, you know, mm-hmm. when, and Richie tells him like, look, we don't have to agree on this. Yeah. And, and for Duncan to kind of look at him and ri- with Richie saying, you know, I'm sorry. And Duncan's response was, I'm sorry too. Yeah. Like almost, almost as though Duncan feels like he's failing him as a mentor. Right. Uh, was pretty powerful. It's just, it's just a great, like that, that relationship between the two of them is so good. And it's such the, the crux of this series mm-hmm. and it's so well explored. And this, this just, these last two episodes that Richie has been in haunted in this one do such a good job of exploring that relationship and those questions yeah. of why do they have to like, cause you look at haunted and you have Richie who killed another immortal that he didn't know. He didn't know his name, right? He had no clue who he was. The guy just showed up and he caught Richie on a bad day and they butted heads and he right. did what he had to do. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to have like Richie doesn't want to be in that situation ever again. Right. And here was a chance for him to not have that. But it was not really a real chance to not have it. It was kind of a false hope. Sure. Duncan's trying to explain that to him without being, you know, the Duncan that was explaining it to 18 year old brand new Richie. Yeah. Who wouldn't have understood it. Right. Not trying to beat him over the head with it, but just trying to explain, look, that that's a great world you want. That's not the world we've got right now. Exactly. Take your sword. I don't care if you don't fight somebody, but you need something to defend yourself. Yeah. Yep. And then, with all that going on, we got Mythos too. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just here, uh, hanging out and doing his thing. He's back from Kathmandu. Uh, mm-hmm. and he uh he, look, he's just great. Peter Wingfield is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um he's got his great one liners, his little zingers. That scene with, with Wingfield and Ron Perlman is just class. It's so oh. good. Just sizing him up so yeah. well. And what's great is there's almost you you almost have this idea that that the messenger mythos kind of knows something about this guy that's talking to him, but yeah. he's not going to give away uh, anything. And so there's this wonderful like there's there there are two predators circling each other, mm-hmm. and neither one wants to make the move. And mythos, with all of his experience, knows how to go about this, but this mm-hmm. other mythos. We don't know, but apparently he's got enough experience to be able to to 
fight right back with that verbally to verbally spar with yeah. this guy. I'd put money that fake Mythos knew he was talking to real Mythos, but was still smart enough to be like, I'm not giving away my game if you're not going to give away yours. Right. Because the way I, I'm with you in that, I think he did kind of have an idea that it was him, but it was one of those where there was just enough doubt. Like, well, if I'm wrong, so I'm not mm-hmm. giving away anything. And it's so good. And the, the best was when he made the crack about real mythos said something about like, what makes you do this? And he, the fake mythos is like, well, what's the alternative just sit around and hide and not yeah 5,000 years of hiding doesn't seem like a great life to me (laughs) and it's like oh that's an interesting dig yeah oh hit him where it hurts okay hit him where it hurts and and real mythos is like yeah it's a living yeah (laughs) (laughs) well and it's great because he makes he makes that line and and real mythos kind of comes back with like well some people might think that that's worth protecting yeah and the fake mythos is like i don't so yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's that moment where you're like, okay, he knows more than he's letting on, but he's not right. going to give. He's he's keeping the cards close. He's yeah. not going to show his hand. And then as he's leaving, and you get fake mythos like, yeah, you know, you never did give me your name. And everyone's like, <laughs> he's like, nope, I did not. No, I didn't. <laughs> so good. That was and, great. And his and then and then he has that great mythos moment with Duncan where he he gets upset and he walks out of the room and he leaves Duncan and Joe in there. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back in and he gives that little anecdote about the guy in Spain and he gets taken by the Inquisition. And it's such Peter Wingfield delivers those lines so yes. well where he's like, you know, he's he's getting the red hot pokers and the tongs and all the, the regular stuff. Uh, and but he never he all he has to do is say one word, one word, and that's it. But he doesn't do it. And Joe's like, well, what happened to him? Oh, he died horribly, but he kept his <laughs> integrity. Yeah. And I just love Duncan's reaction is he's he's got his little glass of scotch. He's like All right. Puts his glass down. Don't wait for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the then you've got the impressive thing of Duncan walking out of there, but we don't know until Duncan gets to the fight what his intention is. Like we yep. think Duncan's going to go save the day Duncan style and it's like Nope, Duncan's smarter than we think. Yeah. Yep, he is, but he needed that push from Mythos, and Mythos is the mm-hmm. one. Mythos is the one person that can do that to Duncan. Like, yeah, pretty much, and it, it's that whole thing of Mythos in his own uh, let me pokey way of saying living is better than dying. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and he's so it's good how at delivering. I survived. That. Yeah, and obviously he knows a thing or two about living rather than dying. So. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. It's great to have Mythos back. We yeah. haven't seen him yet this season, so it's nice to see him again. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, just any anytime we can get uh, any of these three actors on an episode, whether it's Stan Kirsch, Jim Burns, or Peter Wingfield, mm-hmm. we're better for it. And we had all three of them. And we had those three plus Ron Perlman and Robert Weiss. Like, we had such a solid cast. I wish we and had Amanda. Yeah. Oh, that and that it worked, and it didn't feel overstuffed. Mm-hmm. Like they did an incredible, you know, just mixing it up in just the perfect way that I felt like I got plenty of Joe, Joe, and Joe was Joe. We got definitely got Mythos, and we got this incredible Richie and Richie and Duncan together. Oh, and Ron Perlman's this other dude, and it all really worked well. It did not feel like oversaturated. It felt this felt like one of the best Highlander episodes ever. 
because of the way they handled everybody and everything and the writing and talking about the immortality. It was just mm, mm-hmm. chef's kiss. Yeah. The pacing, everything's perfect. So mm-hmm. just phenomenal. There are enough people out there who want my head for who I am. Now, I say if he wants to play Mythos, let him. Even if it gets him killed? Yeah. So fights-wise, not a ton to talk about. This isn't... And it's interesting because the the main plot thread of the episode is immortals not fighting. Right. Laying down their swords. So to mm-hmm. have whatever fights happen on screen be short... Uh, I thought was actually kind of a cool stylistic choice because we get yeah we get one little scuffle between Culbraith and Duncan early on on the dock um, mm-hmm. that still I'm surprised nobody saw but whatever uh, yeah and then that ends and we get we don't I mean fake Mythos doesn't fight at all so when Culbraith shows up it's just basically he takes his sword takes his head and that's it um, mm-hmm. and then we get flashes quick moments of Culbraith and Richie fighting before yeah. Richie gets his sword and, and takes his head. So it's like it's all very quick um, because this episode isn't about the immortals fighting. It's about immortals mm-hmm. not fighting. So I thought that was kind of cool the way they did that. And it was impressive that that fight with Richie and Colbraith, like Richie's dodging him, like the fact that Richie is surviving as long as he mm-hmm. is before Duncan gets there is, again, impressive. Richie is impressive as a fighter. He is. Like he learned from Duncan and whoever else he met along the way, he learned how to fight well and to yes. dodge well and to do whatever he was. And then Duncan throws him in sword and he's immediately ready, gets it. And you could say it was, you know, lucky, but still Richie knew what he had to do and what he needed to do when he needed to do it and just knock that fight out. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, he did get the quickening, which was an interesting quickening. Somebody, somebody got themselves mm-hmm. a green screen, first of all. Yep. Um, and what was kind of, fascinating about it was it was a way to do a quickening without a lot of pyro yeah they just had a little bit of lightning that they would put on the screen Mm -hmm. but it was a lot of uh just kind of odd footage and circling again that 360 pan around stan kirsch um and then like all the faces of the people from andersonville uh Mm -hmm. was interesting it was it was a strange quickening but i kind of dug it too yeah i was okay with it i would have preferred a regular quickening from Richie, but I was okay sure. with the way they did this just because of the focus on Richie and yeah, you know, him having to, to kill this immortal and then deal with that again right? and show the, show the weight of that on him after everything he's been through and been thinking about throughout this whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this is a very, very good episode of Highlander. Yeah. Um, for mm-hmm. all the reasons we have discussed, this should have felt overstuffed. It did not. Yeah. Uh, when you have Jim Burns and Stan Kirsch and Peter Wingfield and Ron Perlman and Robert Wiseden, you got five people outside of Duncan and everybody got time. Nobody felt like I made the comment that Joe had the least of the three kind of side characters, but mm-hmm. it's the perfect amount of Joe for the story that's being told. Right. They, they tailored this like it's well written because it's tailoring the story to the characters that are going to be important while keeping everybody on screen. It's yep. mostly Richie, and then it's Mythos, and it's fake Mythos, and then you got Joe mm-hmm. and Culbraith, or kind of your yep. three tiers of who's in this episode, with Duncan mm-hmm. spanning all of that, and it worked. And if Culbraith was more of a mustache-twirling bad guy, it wouldn't have felt as even. Nope. But because of the way Robert Wisden played this character, how he was directed, whatever it was, the way he handled it, he was on par with everybody else in this episode. 
mm-hmm. of how their characters are supposed to be. Yes, he was the evil person for reasons, but it did not feel, uh, you know, overarching. Nope, not at all. Uh, it was the subtlety of uh, his performance and Ron Perlman's mm-hmm. performance and playing them down the way that they did is what made it work. Yeah. Um, because then you can balance that with everything that's going on with the other characters. And like Richie, again, it's such good work out of Stan Kirsch as Richie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such everything that is written, the characters are written well and the reactions that they have feel like the characterizations and how they should be. Richie should be going through what he's going through right now based on what we know about him. And it's, it, mm-hmm. that's what they did. So it made sense. It didn't feel out of character for him. And Mythos is doing exactly what Mythos would do in all these situations, which is survive and manipulate everybody and move all the chess pieces around. Yep. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. And and, and also, again, great flashback work. Dark flashback. <sighs> really dark mm-hmm. flashback, but, but yeah. effective. And it looked good, and it didn't overstay its welcome. Right. And it served the story. So, like, this, I mean, this is a an A- a great episode across the board. Yeah. Like it's good. You you said earlier you think it's one of the best ones we've had yet. I would agree with that. This is a top tier Highlander the series episode, uh, especially so far. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. I mean, this is one of those where like I'd recommend you watch it. Yep. Period. Absolutely. Like if you want to know what Highlander about, watch this episode. This is the kind of thing that Highlander the series is sh- is about, should be about, is the best at. Yeah, and it and it toes it starts to get the questions going again. There's the mystery around the messenger character that we know mm-hmm. nothing about. So you got your questions about that that you can kind of fill in the blanks on your own, and what he's bringing to the table. This idea of not needing to fight that immortals can just lay down their swords and they can everybody can get along and evil doesn't really exist. It's just fear manifesting in certain people. Mm-hmm. To which Duncan's like, uh-uh, no, it's not. There's evil out there. And like these questions about immortality and why should we be fighting? Well, we're fighting because it's what we do. Well, we do it because it's what we're told. Right. And like that, just going back and forth over and over. And I loved all of that. That was fascinating Mm to me. Yeah. I just wanted to know more about the messenger. What, (laughs) what his deal was. It would have been interesting to have, have a separate timeline where he survives convinces Richie and then convinces Duncan and Mythos and maybe they figure out a way to make their um sanctuary for immortals to try and make it work. You know, yeah. we've seen that in like the movies and stuff and you know, there are ways that they it probably could have been done, but why is he going from immortal to immortal? And then how is he not knowing that they're laying down their swords and then laying down their lives? Like yeah. so many questions. Mm-hmm. But it's just like uh, yep, exactly. Want to know more. Was he in, and like you said, was he doing it for nefarious reasons? Was he setting people up yeah. uh, in some way? Or, you know, it, it also brings up the question, why didn't we ever, why haven't we had any sort of uh, thing at all in the mythos of of Highlander ever where like in the 60s there was a hippie commune that all, you know, of immortals that all got together on holy ground and just lived there. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. like, so there's all sorts of, it just, it, it takes your brain in all sorts of different directions. Yeah. And I love that. And the um, whole, and the fact that he dropped the Darius card, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. how interesting would it have been if Darius was still around? We know his character was killed off because the actor passed away. 
if the actor was still here, if Darius was still a character, like, what if there was that sanctuary? Like, what if Darius was a sanctuary that Duncan would send somebody to who was new? Yeah. You know? Yep, exactly. Stuff like that. Not only that, but then where did this character, where did this messenger dude get his information? How did he know about Darius? How did he know, like, was he a disciple of Darius at some point? Or did he just come across some Watcher Chronicles and learn this stuff? Was, did Mm -hmm. he do, like you said, did he do an Adam Pearson and infiltrate the the Watchers in some way? We don't know. We don't know where he got any of his, because he knew stuff about Colbraith too. He -hmm. probably knew stuff about Richie that we just didn't have a scene for him saying that because he did he was obviously very convincing to richie yeah so yeah it's all it's all really really good stuff this is just a great episode Mm -hmm. definitely watch this one this is one (laughs) this is one to put on that list in Uh, case we haven't gushed enough for you at this point in the episode (laughs) yeah watch it so we are halfway through season five uh we have nine episodes to go in this season and then we have our our uh you know normal between season stuff and and season six, but uh, we're coming up on some good, 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 good episodes. Uh, next week's episode is the Valkyrie. Um, mm-hmm. I believe this one has another tie to World War II era in the flashbacks. Um, if I remember, yeah, correctly. looking at the syno- little synopsis on yeah. Wikipedia, yeah, it's a World War II one. So I'm I'm curious about that, but um, then uh, then after that we've got uh, some of my favorites. Uh, of the entirety of the series coming. So I'm super excited for that. But uh, yeah, next week is episode 10, The Valkyrie. Um, now, if you enjoy this show and you want to watch us record it live, you can do that on Tuesday nights if you've got nothing else going on. Twitch.tv yeah. slash Travis, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We hang out. We talk between segments. Uh, and, and it's always fun. So you can come come hang out and, and do that. If not, uh, the show goes out as a podcast on Thursdays at anchor.fm slash Let's Watch Highlander. Get it wherever you get your favorite podcast just look for Audie's awesome artwork um mm-hmm. i am on twitter at tv's travis that's tvs travis and uh, i love to talk immortals or anything else uh, so definitely uh hit me up there give a follow and uh we'll chat and Audie, you are on twitter as well yep i'm at the Audie norman and uh just like me he loves to talk about immortals and pop culture and movies and we got all i mean yep. we are in a uh, just we are lousy with choice right now <laughs> on yeah, stuff to much. watch and yeah. and stuff to games to play and i saw mm-hmm. a new board game today that looked awesome mm-hmm. um and just just all sorts of stuff so it's a, it's a great time to be into uh, any kind of genre fiction or non-fiction or whatever like, yeah it's just a great <laughs> time a great, to have entertainment great little talk with somebody on twitter about that and it's like yeah this thing didn't catch me it's like fine there's plenty of junk to watch. Don't sure. worry if you don't glob on to whatever is one of the cool hip shows that everybody else is talking about. Yep. Don't worry about it. Watch what you want to watch. Enjoy it. Have fun. We've got too much stuff to enjoy for us to be talking junk about anything else. Absolutely. All right. Well, next week is episode 10, The Valkyrie. Uh, we'll be back for that. So, um, yeah. Until then, remember... There can be only one Ron Perlman. I need the Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>